listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Philip Russell and Ryan Shutt. We are Into the Valley, part of the Brightside Podcast Network, and we're coming at you on a Sunday evening. Getting back to our regular schedule here, recording over the weekend, and we've got two phenomenally fun games to talk about. Before we hop into those games, gentlemen, how was your Thanksgiving? And no pressure, I did cook your Thanksgiving Day turkeys. Please keep the reviews positive. Thank you. Uh, I don't mean to blow smoke, but Ethan did, pun intended, smoke what in my mind without exaggeration, is the best Thanksgiving turkey I've ever had. Okay, I texted Ethan earlier today, and I was having the last little bit of leftover turkey we had, and I said, three days later, and the turkey is still so good. I'm reading the text I sent him. This is hours ago. So, And then I said, it was a perfect Thanksgiving turkey, classic Thanksgiving flavors with a delicious smokiness to it. The the dude nailed it. Y'all boys making me cry on camera, making me cry a little bit. The the compliment that that I the only, the only thing better was the ocean spray cranberry sauce. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that I liked was uh, Brooke was eating some leftovers, might have been today, and she's like, "Why don't we just smoke turkeys a couple times throughout the year instead of just waiting to Thanksgiving?" And I was like, "From a cost effective standpoint, I'm for it. That's a week's worth of food that break in the bank." Uh, but no, Thanksgiving guys, it was so much fun. Uh, had had Ryan and the parents in from Florida. Philip uh, and his wife and their baby were here as well for baby's first Thanksgiving, which definitely isn't as exciting as baby's first Christmas, but still pretty great. And shout out to homie Brett. And Brett was okay. there. We need right. to bring Brett him does- up. Listeners, listeners, I'm not, I'm not trying to flex too hard, but between like, I guess Ryan bought good drinks, but Ryan's got to kind of take a, take a step to the side for this one between Ethan Brooke, who's Ethan's wife. Myself, Sarah, and Brett. I think it was pound for pound the best food I have ever had on a Thanksgiving. Top we, top to bottom of the menu, I think we killed it cooking wise. There wasn't there wasn't a miss. Mm-mm. It was it was solid. Uh, the, and and for to give Ryan a little bit of slack for the listeners here, he drove from yeah, Florida yeah, yeah. with the parents. <laughs> so our comments to him were we just are happy you're here. Also, Look, the I, seltzer waters I bought yeah, were great. Yeah. And those those orange danishes I bought were tasty. Hey, okay? bro, that, that Waterloo black, what was it? That was me. That, that wasn't even me. <laughs> that was actually no. me. Oh, Ethan I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. That, that was me. Blackberry, well. blackberry, 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 lemonade, lemonade. Waterloo, great. slapping. Here, hold on. Slapping while, we're, while we're on the topic of foods, I'm just throwing this out there. There's a lot of debate on the best seltzer water. Waterloo's taken number one spot in my mind. Just if you're a seltzer person, Waterloo, not an ad. Not a Waterloo's sponsor. great, but uh, Ethan said we can't go long in this episode because he's being a little woo baby because he's been sick. So <laughs> Look, we he got- literally <laughs> set the whole intro up so we could compliment his turkey, okay? The dude really can good. wait. It had a really good smoke ring. It was tasty. It's all I right, mean- Ethan... Ethan said, there's no shot we can go 45 minutes talking about the Pistons. And I said, hold my beer, buddy. Let's do You're it. Right. <laughs> You're right. No, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving was wonderful. We had World Cup to watch. We had NFL games. Our Vikings took care of business on a Thanksgiving, which is great. Uh, any Vikings fans out there remembering Alvin Kamara scoring six touchdowns on them on a holiday not too long ago. These are the memories 
Uh, we try to move past. And then the Phoenix Suns said, hey, happy Thanksgiving. We're going to continue the good vibes, taking care of business in both of their games. And that's a without trying to like oversell it, because it is what it is. They beat the Warriors Wednesday. Sorry, pardon me. They beat the Lakers Tuesday. They then had Wednesday off and Thanksgiving, and then immediately had a back-to-back that I wouldn't call easy. The Pistons at home, Pistons playing with a lot of guys hurt, are just a young, scrappy team who will shoot anything, do anything. They have nothing to lose. And then follow that up immediately with a very good jazz team vying for the top of the West. That's a tough two games coming off of a break and a break where you're probably distracted. Uh, Devin Booker, I believe, was tweeting out at 1230 a.m. on Thanksgiving, something to the extent of starting every Thanksgiving hungover. Is that correct, gentlemen? Something to that extent, right? I, I believe that was a little blind. Yes. <laughs> Gotta be hungover on Thanksgiving. There it is. So. He had his own things he was battling. I am thrilled with with the the outcome we saw. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton is going to be the number one topic from those two games. Uh, more on him in a bit. But the Suns took care of business, beating the Pistons 108-102, and then beating the Jazz 113-112. That is back-to-back one-point victories against uh, in the Jazz-Suns battle this year if you remember the last one being the Clarkson Markinen miracle shots to beat the Suns by one. So a fun little back and forth to keep an eye on moving forward, especially as these two teams seem to be pretty legit in the West. Uh, but what are, what are kind of our first thoughts, guys? I'll open it up uh, to either game, any player. Uh, Brian, you go ahead and kick us off on this one. What was kind of your big takeaway after these two games? I mean, it's, it's D.A. the only conversation should be da as to like if we're looking at player specific it's da the dude had a monster back-to-back um might be his two best back-to-back games that he's played in his career potentially if we're just looking at dominance Uh, he's had some other 2020 games but to do it last night on the second night of a back-to-back um the dude the dude was a monster this week and and I think it gives uh, a little more credence maybe to the fact that he was a little more injured than we we talked about maybe um and that maybe this was just him kind of working his way to being back and being 100% following that ankle injury a few weeks ago but man uh that dude was a, a monster this week Philip I'm guessing Aiton is probably the talking point from these two games anything else on that it wasn't that much different from normal, which I think is really encouraging for the Suns. If you're if you're a close watcher of the Suns, DA was getting open on a lot of pretty typical stuff, and he was on fire. Good pocket passes from Cam and Book, good offensive rebounds, several putbacks throughout the two games. But you didn't watch DeAndre Ayton the last two games when he was popping off and say, Oh, something's out of the ordinary as far as the sun system is concerned. It was within the system. He was hyper efficient and outstanding. Yeah, he was he was phenomenal. Um, And honestly, the numbers could have even been better. Uh, I don't want to don't want to jump ahead too much, but I watched the two games. And then I went back and rewatched only the minutes he was on the court and tried to like you said, Philip, see what changed in some areas. Uh, and a couple of those those uh, thoughts are going to come out in our highs, lows, and just so you know, uh, 
in a little bit. But what did want to go ahead and just say it was good to see Landry back. Um, concussions suck. Uh, that's why some people don't watch the NFL or participate in the sport of football. I also think it's easy for some people to assume that a concussion because of football and other sports is a you're kind of out three days and then you just come right back. Concussions have weird symptoms and they hit everyone differently. And I'm glad that Landry took his time in coming back and didn't rush it. Uh, He looked a step slow at times, but had a couple good flashes as well. I also think his presence was missed more than some people might like to admit. I think defensively, his abilities immediately were shown in the few minutes he had in ways that Washington wasn't able to carry. I thought Landry defensively looked there. Offensively, it's going to take a little bit of time. Handles looked a little sloppy, decision-making a step slow. But man, it it was good to have him back. Um, Even just watching, I think it was the Pistons game when he hadn't come back yet. There were a couple times where Washington caught it in the corner, got somewhere to jump on his pump fake, and then drove baseline. And in, in my mind, I was like, if that's Landry, he's going for it. Because that's just a thing that he has that that people forget about. And so it's good to see him back in the fold. Monty now needs to kind of resort the rotation, and it'll be interesting. And then again, Jock also got himself off the bench uh, with some big minutes to mention against the Jazz that we'll probably touch on a little bit later. But two guys who hadn't touched the court in a while came in, played well. You can throw Ish into that mix as well, though he did touch the court tail end of last week. Uh, namely against the Lakers, but a lot of guys getting back into the fold like like seeing that a lot. Do you guys have more to talk about specifically about Jock, or do we need to do it right here? Uh, <laughs> we can. It's it's my low of the week regarding some of the comments Monty made in the weird position. Jock okay, let's do it then. Let's do it then. Okay, that's fine. They can be your low. Go ahead. Well, yeah, we'll just use my low then. Now, I I feel weird about where Jock's at. I think Jock has been really impressive for most of the minutes he's gotten this season. And then um, on the first night of the back-to-back, so after Detroit, Monty went on the record saying, quote, uh, it's nothing to do with matchups in regard to playing Bismack Biombo over Jock Landale. Said it's coming to where the Suns are right now. It's tough to play three bigs, and Biz puts pressure on the rim. To me, that was a red flag to me. Where Where is Jock in Monty's perspective? Why isn't Jock getting more minutes? Why does he seem to be on the outs? I don't have answers for those because everything I've seen out of Jock has been pretty positive. So that's why it was my low. I was going to kind of lob the softball to you guys to see if y'all had any thoughts on that. But that seems a really weird statement to make about a guy who's played really well within the rotation and done basically everything you've asked him to do coming in. And I don't think it's been that big of a difference between him and Busy. Mm. No, and I think I think Jack does put pressure on the paint. Maybe Monty's thinking verticality, but Busy's not going up for a ton of alley oops. DA's the one who would get the most oops on the team. But Jock gets great position down low. He's competitive boxing out. And I would say so far this year, he's been a really good rebounder. He has good touch. His stint when he came in in the fourth against the Jazz was was, excellent. I'm pretty sure he was plus seven in five minutes. Yeah, and it's little stuff that he does too. So one of the things that he did, um, Jazz is big guy, real big guy. Kessler, is that right? Uh, Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler. Auburn kid. Okay. So Jock is one-on-one with Kessler on a rebound. Jock puts him to the baseline. 
all the way to the baseline. And what happens then is Booker gets a run out in transition and he gets all the way to the rim because there's no big back there to stop it because Jock had put him under the basket on the other end. So it's stuff like that where I go, I'm not, I'm not sure what Busy's actually giving. I hear what Monty said, but I'm not sure exactly what Busy's giving that Jock can't give. I I had in my notes from the Nugget, not Nuggets, goodness gracious, man, from the Jazz game that his minutes were a swing in momentum completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also saw it from the buy-in on the bench in how happy they were for his successes, which is usually, a, again, we're getting psychological. That's a good sign for me to where if he had done something to put himself in the team doghouse, you usually don't see that reaction. But the fact that they were that pumped... Uh, but no, I think offensively, he might be one of our best post scorers. I think mm-hmm. Booker probably has the best moves underneath <laughs> the rim, to be quite honest with you. But I think when Aiton is doing what he's doing this week, it makes Busy's abilities even less important. Mm-hmm. And it makes it easier for Jock to fill in in that second role. I also think Jock just unlocks more for the second unit. And defensively, I don't see a drop off or much of one. I mean, I get it. To your point, maybe it is the verticality, maybe it's the staying up, making life harder. But he he came in and immediately was like, "Yeah, why has this guy not been on the court?" Like immediately, where has he been? And coming after those comments, it just made all not much sense to me at all. And let's kick it to the listeners. Like, if you guys see something that we're not seeing out on the basketball court, by all means, shoot us DMs, comment under our post on Twitter. Let us know what you're seeing that Busy's bringing that Jock isn't because I think it's obvious offensively what Jock brings that busy doesn't. We talk about touch around the rim. Jock is not shooting well from three, but a good looking respectable jump shot. Like he has an almost infinitely bigger bag offensively than busy does. And I think it's just weird that Monty's comment was about the offensive end. When I think most people I hear talk about the Suns would say Jock is significantly better offensively than busy. Jock can also attempt to take someone off the dribble. Yeah. Like even if he can't shoot the three, he's at least getting some sort of pressure because of what he can do. No one feels the need to guard busy out there. Like busy on the perimeter is doing nothing other than setting screens. That's it. Uh, And maybe it's, maybe it's the relationship within the pick and roll. Again, I'm not seeing it. Maybe it's the intensity and how he's rolling. I'm not seeing it. Like I can't, I just don't get it. I don't get what caused not just the shift, but such a hard shift to where the minutes completely disappeared. Um, but no, I, I, I'm glad he's back out there. I hope that the jazz results are pushing towards that being more of a norm moving forward. Um, I know we're already hopping into people's uh, lows, so let's go ahead and kick off. Uh, the reason the listeners come back every week are highs, lows, and just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. And Ryan, because we already stepped on your lows, we'll give you the first high for the week. Um, my high for the week is is obviously DeAndre Ayton. We've already mentioned him once. I'm probably stealing y'all's if I am. Uh, I apologize, but I'm not sorry, because that means he performed well enough that all three of us are thinking highly of him. Uh, to Phillip's point, this is this is the DeAndre Ayton we know he could be capable of, but to see it on the, on a back-to-back like that to me, was just special. Um, if you haven't seen the, the box scores uh, against the Pistons, he went 28 and 12 on 11 of 13 shooting. 
Um, last night he went 29 and 21 with nine offensive rebounds on 11 of 19 shooting. Uh, I'll also throw in that uh, he went from the free throw line six of seven and then seven of nine, which was a great increase. Made my heart very happy, though I know people. Uh, I do. I do have a bit of a downer for you later about that. But that's continue, okay. But that's continue. okay. But it still felt good. Uh, but it was other things he was doing too. It was it was big energy plays that sometimes when he'll he'll go for a layup or a floater he was slamming home. It was one handed bounce passes in the lane where I was just like, man, he's doing everything so well, uh, and I, it was just exciting to watch. And so he had so that he had that BDE that big DeAndre energy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yep, that's what we got. We got big DeAndre energy this week, uh, and I loved every second of it. And I was I was proud to see see him him respond in in that way these these last two nights philip where's your high at my man i loved how he was catching the ball and pick and rolls one of one of the complaints from a lot of Suns fans is that they want da to be more aggressive in his attacking off of pick and rolls that's tricky because when people when defenders are shifting around someone can plant themselves underneath the basket and if da has just already made up his mind to go full head of steam at the basket, that is fertile ground for offensive fouls. I thought DA did an exceptional job these last two games balancing, recognizing when to go hard at the rim, when there was actually space there, when he had a side of the court or a side really of the lane, all to himself that he could get a dunk off without anybody trying to cut underneath him, and when he needed to stop and take a floater or take a jump shot. But, and then it's almost like, and then, and then another way he was so good is that when he was taking those little jump shots and jump hooks and kind of push shots that he takes, I'm pretty confident in saying, and this is just anecdotal watching the game. He was about a step closer to the basket, taking those shots the last two games. If you look, tracking data on this kind of stuff is funky, but if you look at his shot lock in both the games, they are very close to the basket. A lot of times he's taking shots right around the free throw line. He was closer to the restricted area than the free throw line on a ton of those shots, including some of those push shots. And a lot of that has to do with him being decisive, at least for the first step, the first hard dribble after he catches the ball on a pick and roll. So A plus in the pick and roll from DA this week. Your anecdotal uh thoughts are backed up by evidence because that was actually one of the things i did on my rewatch of just double Aiton. it was a mm-hmm. it was basically if he was on the court i skipped ahead looking at the nba.com shot chart for these two games versus his norm significantly more concentrated at the rim uh even the what you would call like the normal close shots were closer to the rim than typical more of them are coming in the six to eight than the ten to twelve and he just, I mean, he was destroying. Uh, it is worth noting, again, not to not to be a downer, but he wasn't going against a traditional <laughs> big center in either of those games. But here's my thing. that That's not something to be upset about. That's something that should be praised. If you're put in a position where you can be the difference maker and the disadvantage for that other team, we should see this happen. And that was my high. It was we saw back-to-back games where if you looked at the lineups and you say, where did the Suns have the advantage? It's no one on that other team can stop DeAndre Ayton. What are we going to do about it? And so Ayton took full advantage of every mismatch given to him. He also did a great job seeking out those mismatches a lot of the times. 
And my second attached high is campaign in the pick and roll was phenomenal. It wasn't, those weren't high assist games coming from simple dump offs and passing it to a booker who made something happen. He was probing in the paint in a very Chris Paul like way to either get the turnt shoulders bounce pass to Aiton in rhythm or cutting in, backing out, bringing that little bit of lift from the paint and then sending one over. Like Payne was masterful in the pick and roll with Aiton. The two of them are figuring it out. And I'm hoping that continues because not only is it great for pain in the assists as that works, it makes pain have an even easier opportunity to score. And you saw that as well as teams weren't willing to help off of Aiton to come get on him. He was getting the one-on-ones and again, they would get a lot of switches and he is going to be a step quicker than basically everyone except Colin Sexton in any game. Cause that dude is a little whirling dervish speedster who was really annoying, but campaign was phenomenal can i and can i ask you take advantage can i ask you guys a crazy question uh if it's about him versus chris paul uh no <laughs> is that All really right. what it's gonna be no i was gonna ask is it crazy if when chris paul comes back from injury we have chris paul run with the second unit uh i don't i don't i couldn't see that happening i think you can maybe trick the staggered rotations to make it happen more but no, I don't think so. And you don't campaign this week for me. One of the notes I wrote down is that he was showing why, especially against the Jazz, why he's such a good backup point guard. There were times against the Jazz when his drives were just relentless, especially on a lackluster, albeit he was trying defender like Jordan Clarkson. When you get a guy like that who's not a good enough defender to be in a first unit who's a guy who's normally coming off the bench and campaign can just keep the pressure on. That's the kind of thing you want from the second unit. And you would rather have a guy like Chris Paul be with the first unit so he can do the probing and get a McHale, a DA, a book into better positions. So leave the guy who can just attack the rim relentlessly against bad defenders, leave him with the second unit because they're going to stagnate more than that first unit will. Yeah, I don't want campaign eating my first unit field goal attempts. Oh, I was just yeah, you know I was I mean? just curious because I I note to to your point the synergy that he and Da seem to be building is really fun to watch. Yeah, uh, and uh, I mean, like to your credit, point, you can stagger Jock, that. Him but. and Jock had it too. That's yeah. what's crazy to me. Uh, thanks for thanks for going well there. Um, but all right, let's let's move to our lows. Uh, Philip and I are going to tag team ours. Ryan Ryan has already gone. And I already know Philip and I are going to uh, unfortunately be a- attacking the same person. But Philip, I'll let you go ahead and go first with this one. I did not like Devin Booker's decision making against the Jazz, specifically down the stretch. I thought he had a couple terrible possessions back to back in a game. And I, I'm going to assume this is Booker calling his own number because when you watch when you watch Booker out on the three point line, especially when the shot clock's winding down. He he will wave he will wave a big whether it's busy or um DA up to him and do a pick and roll. He went one on one and took just bad shots. I thought when the Suns had the lead on a night when DA had it going. Like get DA in that action. 
Get DA in the action. Let DA put pressure on the rim with the roll. Let's get the ball moving a little bit. And I didn't like, I think he went at Beasley, maybe both the times. I didn't like that kind of decision-making, especially, especially on a night when, let's pull up the stat chart. Our guy was eight for 27 and one of seven from three. He just didn't have it going and he's calling his own number. Again, on a night when you have someone else who is hyper efficient. And that that has been one of my things for the entire time we've done this podcast. There are moments when I think Booker goes into a kind of Utah Jazz Donovan Mitchell mode. And I think it's Booker at his worst. And I'll go ahead and pick up with my low, which was Devin Booker's defense uh, in the two games. And this is actually something that I've, I started watching last week towards the tail end and kind of just had it in the the margin notes of I, I can't tell if it's the the intensity's dropping or he's just not as clued in. I just caught him watching the ball a lot, giving up offensive rebounds that should have been his assignment, whether he's already thinking about running up the court, I don't know, or just not fighting through whether either going over a screen or trying to push through it, trying to make it harder on the offensive player. It just wasn't there for me personally. Maybe it's because there wasn't a quote unquote star player for the Pistons or jazz that he was trying to shut down. There was no ego challenge. Uh, Maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe guarding Jordan Clarkson tightly doesn't get him up in the morning. I'm not sure. Maybe he was hung over from Thanksgiving defensively. I just was, it was lacking to the point where it stood out to me when watching. Like team defense was collapsing when the final switch was Booker on somebody. And I didn't love that. I'm hoping that's not a permanent regression, but it, it definitely stood out. I didn't take the time to go look defensive rating and stuff like that. And honestly, I don't know how... <laughs> well that will actually be attributed to him given who he's playing with who have been doing so well on defense and those around him uh because i think tory craig has continued to step up defensively i think mikhail has been playing phenomenal i thought da played great i thought campaign was a pest um and so i'm not really sure maybe that because they're all doing better it's making booker look a little weaker um but he was he was my low as well just on the defensive end and to phillips point I didn't like his offensive decision-making either. I am a little more accustomed to that in a Chris Paulus world. I think you just take that on occasion. But yeah, the high-volume shooting that's not hitting, part of me is like, well, he's got, he has to continue to try those shots. Similarly to McHale against, I think it was the Pistons. He starts off 0 of 7, 0 of 8, whatever. You still have to shoot that corner three because it's a part of the offense. Same thing that you're seeing when Josh Okogie is shooting a wide open three on an inbound play early in that Pistons game. You have to run the offense. Problem was, it wasn't that Booker was shooting shots within the offense. It was iso ball, gone wrong, late in the shot clock. We shouldn't be here in the first place. So not the strongest Booker week, but it's wonderful to get two wins while that's happening. Um, or just so you know, Ryan, we've kept you silenced for a while now since uh, you didn't get your low. What was your just so you know for the week? Um, my just so you know is that if you go to bossman.com, everything is still 10. To- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, unless you're into Bossman, I was going to say, everything's $10. Merch, 10 bucks, baby. Um, uh, my, my just so you know is 
sometimes I think we get caught up analyzing this team, looking for strengths, looking for weaknesses, that we forget how lucky we are to have a really fun team. Uh, and, and that I'm what comes to mind is the video that came out. I think that Mike Vigil actually is the one who recorded it, and it went mega viral on lots of the ESPN Bleacher Report of the little kid on the sideline dancing, and you've got Mikhail over there and DA and Dwayne Washington, and campaign comes up. And the four of them are just giving this kid so much love and attention. And you're reminded about what a fun team the Suns have and how lucky we are to have a team that not only are good, but are enjoyable to be fans of the individuals. And I think, like, I look at, at the the Timberwolves, for example, and I'm like, ah, do I think too many people are like, yeah, I love every player on the Timberwolves? Probably not. But this Suns team, we have we are so lucky to have a team that we have that it just seem to be a bunch of good dudes who enjoy each other, enjoy playing with one another, and on top of that, are successful. And so I don't want us to lose sight of that as, as we go throughout the season. We are really blessed to have a team uh, like, like this that we can really rally behind and, and, and pull for. You have to have a group of likable guys to offset Chris Paul. <laughs> fair fair I, I mean and devin booker let's be <laughs> let's be real i don't think a lot of people are out there like man love that guy we just dumped on devin booker for five <laughs> minutes i wasn't trying to take another shot at him sorry <laughs> book. all right well uh I'll, I'll take my just so you know here and because i don't know what phillips is gonna be and hopefully it'll be a, a nice one to close the show so mine came from the deandre ayton rewatch I knew Ryan had been very loud and uh, critical in a sense last episode about DeAndre Ayton in general. So I'm glad it was, we had a positive week, but the free throws, I think he's, well, I have nothing wrong with DA. It was the free throws last episode. Go back and watch. There were, Hey, as the one between the two of us who does go back and watch, I don't know if you should be calling your shots there, Uh, but there were things said and free throw attempts were brought up. So here's here is something that I wanted to share, and it is an example of why sometimes the box score cannot validate an argument. And this is not at Ryan. This is at a lot of people on Sun's Twitter that after the Pistons game were like, DeAndre Ayton, seven free throw attempts. Jazz, nine free throw attempts. He's he's dominating. He's doing his thing. Here is here is how those attempts came to be, which by the way. I thought there would be something on basketball reference, NBA.com, some way to see what type of foul led to the free throw attempts. I was sorely mistaken, and I had to go back and watch all of it. Anyway, now that that's done. The Pistons, DeAndre had seven attempts. Two of them were when he got fouled setting a screen. Two of them were getting fouled catching an entry pass six feet from the hoop. Two of them were on an intentional foul at the end of the game when they were trying to come back. And one of them came from an and one attempt when he pump faked, Bagley landed on his back and he put it in. So out of those seven attempts, which is a good number, that looks good. I wouldn't say any of them came from like aggressively attacking the rim. One of them came on an actual shot attempt. Now that's not to say anything is wrong with those numbers. To Phillip's point earlier, All of that came within the normal flow of the offense that you would want to see. The Jazz game, on the other hand, nine attempts. The first two were from attacking Olenek at the rim. The next two were he found a mismatch, got onto Sexton, caught it low, and Sexton was forced to foul on the attempt. The next two were when he attacked Olenek off the dribble. I don't know if you remember this. He tried to hit him with a spin move on the free throw line and then kind of (laughs) fell. It was funny, but still works. Uh, One attempt on an and one alley-oop 
and then two attempts were on a putback attempt after getting an offensive rebound over Kelly Olenek. Those two games, one had seven attempts, one had nine, vastly different reasons for the free throw attempts. In the Jazz game, and it comes back to something Philip mentioned, he was putting himself in position from the rip to where whatever decision he made, the likelihood of him getting fouled increased. Uh, For the World Cup fans, Walker Zimmerman was getting clowned, unfortunately, of the U.S. for fouling Gareth Bale in the Wales game because Gareth Bale was in a position that did not need to be fouled. His back was to the goal far away. He wasn't in a threatening position. When DeAndre Ayton catches the ball and puts himself in a Gareth Bale type situation, those fouls aren't going to come. Instead, in that Jazz game, he was putting himself in a position where the other team regularly had to say, it's a guaranteed two points or I have to physically stop him. That's huge. Those are Joel Embiid fouls. Those are the, this is a free two points to this guy or I should try to stop him. So the Jazz game as a whole, offensively, I thought was phenomenal. Not only just getting to the line in the ways that you would want to see from a dominant physical big man, but again, capitalizing on mismatches over and over, even if it was against another center. So again, box score may look similar from the two games. I thought we saw the DA offensively that we want to see over and over in that jazz game. So if there's one to rewatch, I think that's a great one. Um, And then my last kind of just so you know, and we hit on it earlier, Josh Okogie was huge against the Pistons, and I thought uh, Jock Landale and Ish Wainwright were huge against the Jazz, guys that we're not going to spend 10 to 15 minutes talking about, but all three of them had some really big minutes, efficient minutes uh, in games that did matter, in games that were close down the stretch, and so just wanted to give a little bit of love to them. All right, Philip, there's my free throw rant. All you. Okay, got two. One's really short. One's... Fair warning. The Suns' clutch time against the Jazz has been good enough for two wins. They went one and one in clutch time against the Jazz this year. But both the games, I thought, again, the Suns were good enough to win. The last game with the crazy shots that the Jazz hit down the stretch, this week they were able to lock the Jazz down well enough to get the win. And that's just an interesting part about the NBA. These players are so skilled that the Suns can do pretty much everything right in the game at Utah and still come away with the loss. And this game, there were some pretty big mistakes, I think, offensively from the Suns, yet their defense was good enough to still come away with the win. Okay, now, just so you know, big picture-wise, last 10 games, There are two teams who Suns fans will be very familiar with who are tied for second in wins and losses in the last 10 games. And that would be the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. Golden State and Sacramento have gone seven and three in their last 10. They are putting up a bunch of points per 100 possessions. Sacramento's net rating offensively the last 10 games is basically 119. Golden State is 115. Sacramento's defense is also kind of trash. They're allowing 114 points, but they both, the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors, have a 4.5 net rating. Those two teams are playing very well. So if you're interested in kind of the big picture of the Suns and the big picture of the league, 
keep an eye on Sacramento, who we get to see tomorrow night, and Golden State, because I think the Dubs are turning it around and really getting their feet underneath them. Good thing divisions don't matter that much, because once again, the uh, Suns Suns division's always nuts. Uh, Also, talk about crazy performances. Did you see what Zubac did tonight for the Clippers? Mm-mm. He put up like 30 and 20. He had like an, yeah, it was like he saw the Aiton game and just said, I can probably do better than that. It was, <laughs> it was disgusting. Like it was nuts, but it, a lot of, a lot of teams in the West. I mean, the West is just a little bit of a, a mess right now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see as we're what about a quarter of the way through the season. Is that right? I mm-hmm. think like, yep we're getting to that point where you kind of figure out who's for real and who are the Lakers. And I'm intrigued to see what teams continue to show uh, that they're legit, but yeah, Kings will be a fun one. I think if people haven't been keeping up, they might think that going into tomorrow's game, the Suns are going to trounce them. There's going to be a lot of points. That's, that's the one thing I can tell you. I don't know what the over under is, but I'm guessing there'll be a lot of points and it should be a pretty fun one. Um, how many other games do we have this week? I forgot to I forgot to jot that down. We have Oh no, three other up. ones. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're bad. We're 8 we, and 11. We play the Bulls. Yeah, oh, no. so it's Monday at Sacramento, Wednesday versus the Bulls, Friday versus the Rockets and the next Sunday law afternoon game to end your weekend at the Spurs. So those are three bad teams. And the Kings. Throw them out, fellas. What are your predictions? Hit me with that 4 0. I was going to say, I'm going 4 0. I'm feeling good. Hit me, going, hit me with it. I'm going 3 and 1. Losing to the Bulls. Because <laughs> Phillip only likes not, the Bulls. Any player that used to play for the Bulls, we hate them. <laughs> hate you, campaign. Great job. Um, I'm not I'm noncommittal as to which game the Suns are going to lose. Fair but enough. But I think the Suns are going to go 3 and 1. I feel you. Uh, Chris Paul's uh, day-to-day uh, sore heel. He'll probably be back in two months. Uh, Landry's back, which is good. Cam Johnson, still TBD. Can, but, we, take, uh, can we take bets on who will return first, Cam Johnson or Chris Paul? <laughs> no. No. Dwight Howard, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Coming back from Taiwan? Yeah, I don't know. All right, gentlemen. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate getting together. Uh, one, Thanksgiving was great. Two, fun times talking about a dominant Suns team and a good DeAndre Ayton. Always more fun talking about him when he's doing well. Uh, This will be up Monday. So if you are listening, be on the lookout next week for another episode. Uh, Similar to this one, but covering a whole lot more games, hopefully with still a good positive tone. See if DeAndre can bring some more uh, big DeAndre energy this week against, uh, yeah, we're going to make that a thing, against some lesser opponents. But anyway, gentlemen, anything to add before we bring this one to a close? Go, son. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Ethan, and for Philip and Ryan, this is Into the Valley of Phoenix on the podcast. We out.